I'm your host, Grayson Brulte. Welcome to another episode of SAE Tomorrow Today, a show about emerging technology and trends in mobility with leaders and innovators who make it all happen. On today's episode, we're absolutely honored to be joined by Dr. Rodney McGee, chairman of the newly formed SAE J3400 NACS Task Force, and Christian Teeley, director, Global Ground Vehicle Standards, SAE International. On today's episode, they will discuss the evolution of industry standards in the electric vehicle sector. We hope you enjoy this episode. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to have you here. And as cliche as the sound, it's very true. Standards make the world go round. Without standards, ground vehicles don't scale. It's it's, it's simple as that. Christian, as I, as I emphasize the importance of standards, in your opinion, what is the current state of ground vehicle standards? Current state of ground vehicle standards is very very strong. Um, what we have to understand and recognize too, there's a, a so-called technology revolution that's happening right now. And we are moving quite rapidly and quickly into the emerging tech space, be it EV, ADAS, AI, etc. So from an electrification point of view, as we know here in the last three to four years, it's really been moving at an ex- extraordinary fast pace. And IE, um, it's it's all new technology, so to speak, emerging technology, which makes it somewhat challenging to standardize. How That raises the question, you mentioned there are a lot of electrification, there's a lot happening around automation. The marketplace is, let's use the term, shifting, evolving, pro- progressing, it's, it's moving into the future. We're not the Jetsons yet, but it's technically, it's moving there, and maybe it will get there. How is SAE and the ground vehicle standards committees, how are you staying ahead of the curve there, Christian? Do you have a whole task force with individuals such as Rodney that are looking at new technologies or things that might be standardized? Or what are you doing? Yeah, absolutely. And and these things didn't start just yesterday. The electrification side started many, many years ago, and it's obviously grown and evolved. And we are pulling in those experts that we need, uh, like Rodney and the team, to identify especially those areas from electrification, automated driving, etc. And it's been an ongoing process where we could see uh, basically the future, what was coming at us um, from an emerging tech space, and make sure that we define the categories and the areas we wanted to get into and, 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 and involved in, especially from a standards organization to help drive industry, as well as benefit humanity at the end. And Rodney, from your perspective, how are you helping keeping your committee ahead of the curve? Right. Well, my committee is focused on basically, you know, taking the connector, which is, you know, currently uh, in North America, just, you know, used by Tesla. But recent announcements have from a number of OEMs mean that, you know, more than a majority share are now uh, aligned on the uh, NAX connector. And we're really focusing on getting that standardized and published to basically allow the adoption of that connector in the North American market. Rodney, for individuals listening to this and says you're going to standardize it, what does that process look like? How will you take what Tesla built with the NACS and then standardize it for across the industry for use? Typically, a lot of standards, uh, you know, start off at the very conceptual stage where experts basically say, how do we want this to work? And so you, you kind of literally start with a blank piece of paper and then you get some proposals and then, you know, in uh, you basically, you know, coalesce on a single sort of solution. And, and that process typically takes some time because, you know, you're creating something where there was nothing before or there were things before, but they were different, had different requirements. The uh, NAC standardization process 
is a bit different in that, you know, today that connector represents both a, a majority uh, of you know, use in full electric vehicles and also a, a, a use market share in charging stations, especially uh, DC charging stations. So what we're going to be doing in the standards is really capturing the existing mechanical connector to make sure that when other manufacturers want to be interoperable with it, they have a standard to follow that will ensure that things work well. And Christian, there's been some photos recently that have been popping up on the inter internet about a version four of the Tesla charger. The interesting aspect there is there's a credit card slot in there. Well, let's say when, you, when you're developing the standard for the charger, will you look at that whole aspect so when a consumer goes there and they put their credit card in that there's a, a best practice for uptime or are you only going to focus just on the connector? Well, the, the J3400, which is the NACS or NACS uh, connector that we're focused on, that currently is just focused on the charger unit, the, 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 the fixture itself. At the end of the day, we have other standards that are out there that exist out there that are working for the interoperability point of view, the communication point of view, because if you remember SAE, obviously the standards back in the day were always focused just on the vehicle and the vehicle was a standalone entity. Now with, with, with how things are working, there's um, communication protocols that are happening with the vehicle, with the people, with infrastructure, with other places. So there is a wide variety of things that we are looking at um, from an infrastructure point of view and from a communication protocol point of view with the vehicle, the people, and infrastructure in other industries, i.e. credit card. Is it a fair statement that the SAE is taking a holistic approach to all the things that connect to the vehicle to ensure that the consumer has a wonderful experience then for the industry partners that it is scalable? Absolutely. Right now we have over uh, 50 plus just standards and whips that are in process right now just from a charging experience point of view. And so we are looking from an electrification point of view, we have well over 100 standards that we are currently working on or um, have already published. So that's just electrification, which also includes uh, communication protocols and things of that nature where cybersecurity, et cetera, credit cards, things of that nature. The financial institutions are important we're working on and focused on. It was a very big move, well covered, well well documented, even a mention from the White House when SAE is announced that they're going to be standardizing the Tesla developed North American charging standard connector. How did that come about? Was there a phone call from industry? Was it a phone call from Tesla? What started that, that whole process to got us to the point today where it is now becoming a standard? Well, well, let's understand. First, first and foremost, the J1772 was obviously started many, many years ago and has evolved and, and, and it, it, it's a solid standard as well. Um, what we have to recognize and understand from the electrification point of view, the emerging space, emerging technology point of view right now is, is evolving so fast and so quickly that you can't really put your thumb on what's going to, to, to react and, and, and be best in, 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 in best practices or best in industry or for humanity at the end of the day. I.e., you mentioned the Jetsons earlier. Think about the flux capacitor. Is the battery technology that we currently have the end-all, be-all? We don't know yet. So that goes just the same for charging and charging stations and, and how we manage that and move it to the future. I.e., hey, we were at horse and buggy many, many moons ago. We went to gas and diesel and, and, and things of that nature. How did we fill up those vehicles? How did we go through that protocol and that interchange? And how did that evolve over time? It takes time. And you never know which direction, i.e. beta, VHS, right? You don't know which direction, especially when the emerging tech 
space is moving at such a rapid rate. But I want to highlight where industry goes, SAE goes, and that's an important thing where the the heels aren't dug in and say, nope, we're, we're on the Betamax camp or we're in the VHS camp. Industry says we're going here, SAE goes, and that's a really in, important thing to highlight. And I also want to highlight too, Rodney, that of all the research that I've done, that the standard for the NACS connector is going to go faster than your traditional standards process. How is that going to be achieved? So you talked a little bit about, you know, how a lot of the SAE stuff came together. And I think once, you know, Tesla realized that they needed to have, you know, with the companies adopting it, they needed to have a standard that was published by an organization. You know, we we use the term STO, Standards Development Organization. They, you know, looked at the options in front of them. The two sort of, you know, ones that, that would cover this kind of area are the IEC and SE. And I can just give one little example. I was recently in a IEC meeting where they were discussing when they could get the NAX connector into the IEC standards. And they were discussing what seemed to be the more likely option, which was in 2029, or the more closer option, which was in 2026, didn't seem to be open to them. So some of the international standards can take quite some time. This is due to the way that they... They're essentially through national committees. And so anything that happens at the international level gets sent out to many different countries. And then those countries have to then take their technical committees and respond. In SAE, uh, the standards is developed by individual experts from a variety, uh, both internationally, from different suppliers, different automakers, general interests. And so the process is... You know, the people involved writing the standards are the people involved commenting, and there's a much shorter process to take into account revisions. The second thing I sort of alluded to earlier, which is the fact that NAX is unique in that it already exists in large numbers in the real world. And so we're not starting from a blank piece of paper. So it's, it's really two things. We're starting with something that already exists, and has been successfully in use for almost a decade. And number two is just the SAE process can, when there is consensus on what we're doing, and in this case there is because it's already out there, especially you know when we talk about the mechanical coupler, we can move much quicker than would be a typ- typical. Is it a fair thing to say, Rodney, that you're able to reverse engineer the, the the charging plug now to help accelerate that because you said it's clearly out there in the field for over a decade. Well, luckily we don't we don't have to reverse engineer. We can just get the drawings directly from <laughs> from the organization. But um, but certainly I, I will say that one of the reasons you know I sort of volunteered and sort of took initiative on some of these efforts is I was quite knowledgeable of how the Tesla system worked. Certainly, in the early days of electrification, it wasn't it wasn't clear at all that Tesla would be uh, have a majority market position in terms of uh, vehicles and couplers. And so, I think a lot of manufacturers weren't watching as closely about some aspects of their technology. I think there was a lot of tension on their battery technology, their propulsion technology, but the charging stuff was kind of not widely sort of understood. So it has been helpful to, you know, 
we have we have uh, Tesla's been involved with this process, but also bring in you know people who have knowledge of how Tesla charging works. You're sitting here as the chair. What are some of the challenges that you're going to have to overcome to standardize the NACS connector? And don't say Christian. <laughs> <laughs> to the extent that NAX does mean people have to make changes, even if it's just at the mechanical level, there are electrical differences between NAX uh, and J1772 that will require sort of manufacturers to make changes. And if, you know, it was a different situation and, you know, Tesla hadn't already have a lot of stuff in the field, I think there would be a lot of pressure to, you know, really maybe it would be more open-ended what exactly would be the, the standard. But in this case, most of the people who have sort of joined up with Tesla and their charging system, they very much want to take advantage of the existing infrastructure. So when you want to take advantage of the existing infrastructure, it sort of bounds the work. So one of my sort of challenges will be continuing to remind people that, you know, this is a deployed system, you know, looking forward, certainly there's going to be things that will be added to it within the standards development process. But just reminding people that nobody wants to adopt uh, or build a NAC standard that's incompatible with the existing deployment of NAX charging stations, right? Because that's part of the big reason to move. And a lot of people involved with standards are very much used to starting with that blank piece of paper where, you know, from beginning, you're able to sort of sketch it to whatever you want to be. In order for us to hit our sort of goals in terms of timelines for getting, you know, the standard out, and also just the goals of people who are adopting NACs and compatibility and interoperability with existing equipment, that that helps sort of mitigate those challenges of people wanting to sort of reinvent the wheel, so to speak. Christian, what is that timeline for the standard? Has, has SAE or the committee made a public t- statement around a timeline? Yeah, we're, we're looking at publishing something inside about six months, and, and it'll be a technical information report is what we are looking at publishing. So towards the end of this year, we are looking to publish that, and, the, and then we will vet it out through um, continued best practice publication that'll happen about a few months after that, and ideally end up being a standard once it's vetted even further uh, within the industry organization. So, so ideally... A standard usually is developed uh, anywhere from 16 to 18 months is typical time frame. Um, we have been as quick as 10 to 11 months, um, and this will fall around the 11-month window to be a complete standard, although something, the technical information report, which is critical and vital to a standard development, will be released and published by the end of this year. Could this become the, the fastest standard in history just based on the, the way that the industry is moving at such a rapid pace? Every day you open the Wall Street Journal, there's another announcement from a global OEM that they were adopting. It seems every day I'm, I'm waiting for another OEM to go. Yeah, and, and, and recognize and understand, as Rodney put it very clearly, obviously this has already been engineered. This is already out there. And, and there's a reason here in North America, everybody is, is, is starting to head in this direction of the NAX charger. And that is because it's deployed, deployed in large numbers. Um, there has been some uh, issues from customers, certain dissatisfiers with charging and the charging experience, which we want to avoid. Obviously, if you want to start selling vehicles and getting vehicles out there to scale, you want to avoid that. Um, and, and by adopting the NACS 
charging system you have more to choose from and more to grab onto and that allows the gms the ford um the, the mercedes-benz etc ravines teslas of the world to sell more vehicles because now you make it easier and, and more customer friendly at the end of the day for people to charge your vehicles and i'm a very proud ev owner and there's nothing worse than broken chargers i was in orlando earlier this week and i get there there's four chargers the hotel had 400 rooms Three of the chargers were broken. The only one that worked was the Tesla charger. Okay, thank thank goodness. And it was just that, oh, otherwise I have 20 miles of battery and I'm going to have a problem. But the, the charger reliability is a very big issue, and we've seen that across the board. And if you read uh, pu- public documents around the, the Tesla charger, this is not an opinion. It's based on public data. They seem to have a higher uptime average across the board than, than traditional chargers. So, so we're, the NACS is becoming standardized. What happens, Christian, to the J1772 standard? Does that continue to live on, and does it live in other markets, or, or where does that go? Oh, yeah, it, it, it will continue to live on. You have to understand there's many, many vehicles that are out there, uh, obviously, with the J1772 standard. So that will continue to live on and evolve, um, depending on who adopts the next standard, right? Europe, we don't know yet if, if they're going to adopt Asia, the Asia Pacific Rim, we don't know what's going to happen. And emerging markets, uh, South America, Africa, uh, we won't even go there yet because we're still focused on certain levels of ice engines and things of that nature that is going to go into the future just based on infrastructure alone, right? So, but ultimately, the focus here should be clearly to see what we continue to do and develop. A, Rodney's now focused on the next. We continue to focus on the J1772 to deliver the best standard for that particular application. Yeah, it's important to remember that J1772 is used in Japan and Korea, South Korea also. Yep. And so there's, you know, no indications at the moment that that's changing. There are a number of other smaller countries that, you know, may continue to use that plug. And even if the if even if over time the plug becomes more common, it's sort of a lot of the descriptions of things that live in J seventeen seventy two may continue to be described within that document. Yeah, and even in the J thirty four hundred, I think we will be referencing J seventeen seventy two document because of some of the intricacies that are there from a communication protocol, et cetera, and technical statements that are in there. Um, just so we don't repeat ourselves. That's really smart. Do we get to a point then where certain cars are only manufactured for the European market, the the, the Asian markets, and the American markets, and they have different connectors? Is that where this will ultimately go? It'll... Yeah, that's the case now. I mean, you have the Type 2 in Europe. The J1772 connector is also called the Type 1. So, you know, as it stands now, there's a lot of countries that use the Type 2 connector. You know, that was originally developed by Manikis. And then, you know, J1772, sometimes called the Type 1, developed by Yazaki, is, of course, currently, that's what's defined in J1772. But, and then in China, <clears throat> the only other really connector configuration is they have their AC and DC connectors, which are unique for the China market. So right now, a company like Ford provide, with their, you know, global, you know, markets provide cars with a variety of connectors currently. Yeah, and, and just so we're clear too, um, the automotive industry, which I've played a role in for 30 plus years as a supplier, I've supplied to right-hand, left-hand drive vehicles. Um, European specifications on vehicles are different than North American. So you would always have uh, different types of vehicles that would be exported 
uh, or built in, in, in different regions. Um, so this is nothing new. The auto industry and the automakers and the, and the tier one, tier two suppliers are able to, to accommodate. And I, I have to ask this because it's just me being me and I'm, I'm more curious than anything. We, we had the ruling out of the EU where the iPhone has to go to the USB-C standard, which was a, a ruling from a government body. Do we see anything that you've historically can look at or where a government body says, okay, we're going to this standard and to scale, and that has a dramatic change, just like we saw with the iPhone plug with going to USB-C in the EU? So certainly, I think with the Nevi rules, there's not a requirement to for vehicles to use a certain connector. There's requirements that charging stations have certain connectors on them to qualify for funds. There have been ongoing discussions of when and if NEVI rules change as a result of the North American industry sort of going in the next direction. And we're about to put a lot of money into infrastructure. And the last thing, and, and that's why the government's been very in- interested in the standardization of NACs is because they don't want to put billions of dollars into a connector, which may not be the sort of the future default sort of normal connector and uh, use. So there are already some provisions in the NEVI rules to allow charging stations to have multiple connectors. And this is primarily kind of partially due to Tesla, but also, you know, the prevalence uh, of Chatmo. So I think you have to stay tuned to see how that all plays out because I don't think anyone quite knows what the rules will be after Nax has been published by a standards development organization and after interoperability with different manufacturers is demonstrated. Yeah, and the and the industry just to just FYI uh, back in the 70s catalytic converter, right? California versus Europe, it wasn't there. And the industry from a safety perspective too has always looked at uh, safety in, in different regions, different countries differently. The bumper systems here in the US were a little different than the ones in Europe. So you always had to accommodate. So, but eventually scale does win out and, and standardization helps develop that scale to reduce the cost from the industry and, and, and development perspective and ultimately benefits humanity through the long run of, of scalability from a cost perspective and the savings perspective. Let's go into the higher class of vehicles, the class six, class seven, class eight. With the NACS announcements, was there any movement there where the the large global OEMs around the class eights, the class six came together and said, okay, guys, we have same customers that run a class six and they, and they, and they run a class eight. Can we come together and, and, and work with SAE to build a standard? Have you had any of those inbounds? Right, so you know, the, the NACS task force is you know if you know anything about how standards are done SE, you got ground vehicle standards and under that you sort of have the truck and bus council and the motor vehicle council right so the nax task force lives under motor vehicle council i'm also i'm also have standards that i work on over in truck and bus i think one of the things that sort of come out of this discussion and sort of you know we meant you know it's sort of a good analogy. If you've ever go to one of those gas stations that service semi tractor trailer trucks, you know that they have bigger, you know, filling nozzles that they can use because those vehicles need a, more energy uh, quicker delivered, you know, via diesel in most cases. So one of the things as a result of the NAX announcement is the medium and heavy duty guys saying, well, 
because previously they had just sort of been riding the coattails of the passenger car guys because electrifications of medium and heavy duty like everything with medium and heavy duty and passenger cars is about 10 years behind generally and so if you look at the electrification you know take off with passenger cars you know that that curve has shifted to the right forward in time for medium and heavy duty one of the things that i've heard as a takeaway is that we should focus on connectors that meet the requirements of of our users not just ones that are focused uh, on passenger cars. Now, if there's a line, that's great. But the NAX announcements have sort of opened up the door to the medium heavy duty guys that says, you know, what what do we really want? And so one of those answers is they want higher power DC charging. And that's where sort of the megawatt work. And SA has a megawatt level DC charging standard really focused on those vehicles for plug-in charging. And a couple of years ago, SE has published uh, sort of overhead charging non-handheld couplers and the J3105 series, which is basically about, you know, electrifying city buses and uh, vehicles like this. So I think what you're seeing on the medium and heavy duty side is basically, you know, what do we want in terms of if, if this vehicle has AC charging? What do we want in the medium and heavy duty space? DC charging, you know, we want, you know, sort of higher power levels than what the passenger car guys generally do because we have batteries that are three and four times bigger. I think about this and done research on this, and there is no standard on this that, that I could find, but you might say, no, it can't be a standard, but I'm curious, so I'm going to ask you, you, Rodney. When you look at a class eight truck, when you when you put the charging plug, you whatever number one rule when I speak to friends at UPS and FedEx, you don't want to unhitch. They said we can't unhitch because it's going to take us time to unhitch in this. Is there a standard or best practice of where those plugs are located on those Class A trucks? Since their most important metric for them is uptime. Oh yeah, you know as mentioned earlier, reliability of charging stations and things. The truck guys have much higher expectations on reliability than we do in the passenger car world. Those vehicles, you know, may have goods, millions of dollars worth of goods on them. They can't fail. They need to get to their destination. So I definitely think, and that is one of the legitimate reasons that those vehicles generally lag behind passenger car stuff because the the truck guys want stuff that's known, reliable, and that's well well understood, proven. While passenger car manufacturers get to be a bit bit more experimental and trying out new features. And so as far as placement goes, there actually has been some discussion and I think one of the places that is sort of sort of obvious is with wireless charging because the vehicle has to be like located over top of a pad. And so there they very much specified, you know, where the vehicle needs to be. And there have been discussions on charging port locations with different class of vehicles, you know, pull through kind of island situations. I think there's going to be more discussions with that cable management issues, length of cables. That that stuff is starting to be taken on in the truck and bus council in SAE. But again, they're just beginning that electrification sort of takeoff, even though there's been some high-profile deployments of things like electric school buses and things. They're really leveraging passenger car standards for that. They haven't really thought about, like, what do, what do we actually need 
in the truck and bus world. And Nax is sort of giving them an opportunity to say, hey, you know, we'd really like three-phase AC charging when we do AC charging. So maybe we should look at J3068, an SAE standard, or maybe we're, you know, a city bus. So we pretty much drive these buses 23 hours a day. So we need overhead charging at above a megawatt, you know. So it's really about it's really about the truck and bus guys deciding to electrify and then figuring out sort of how they get there from the, here and making standards that sort of enable the mass deployment. When I think about, let's say, a standard, a hypothetical standard port from an infrastructure standpoint, it allows me to scale that infrastructure because you know exactly where the truck is going to be. You know the length that you're going to have to be for your, your fueling, which will be for electrification. That creates scaling. I think one of the biggest opportunities that the, at least with the autonomous trucking guys, and then when you eventually go electric trucks, they're going to have to come together and figure out what does the depot of the future look like? What does it look like from a charging standpoint? What does it look like from a server standpoint? And they're going to have to come together if they want that technology to scale, and then you are going to need microgrids and all sorts of other energy technologies that go with it. Which brings me to, to this question, Christian, I think a lot about. Rodney sits there as, as chair on the committee for electric vehicles when you bring the electric vehicle companies together the individuals the, the trucking companies who has a seat at the table is it just individuals involved in academia individuals involved with the oems or are the utilities coming to the table or are the infrastructure providers coming to the table could you paint this broad picture of who's coming there and what impact they have on the standards please yeah yes yeah. so, uh, 30 40 years ago it may have been just the automotive engineer at the end of the day right Today, who who sits on these committees is we have government sitting on it as liaisons. We have industry sitting on it. We have financial banking people sitting on it. We have insurance people sitting on these, especially from an ADAS and, and things of that nature. So we, the industry is not just stuck or confined to the automotive space anymore. The industry now, as we see it, is the complete ecosystem from the transportation side, the infrastructure, road infrastructure, from the communication side, your 5G, 4G communication protocols that are out there, the infrastructure communicating with, with signals, traffic signals, safety signals, communicating with the, the, the people is also now an issue, especially heavy. We're focused on in Korea right now from an ADAS perspective, focusing on how do we communicate with people to, to prevent and protect the vulnerable road user from getting hurt, right? So it, it is all encompassed, all involving. It is not just the automotive engineer anymore. You have people from all walks of industry that are interfacing with that vehicle. Christian, we, we talked about scale a lot during this podcast. And as electric vehicles scale, the charging infrastructure becomes more readily available. What can we learn as a society from gas stations? Hmm. Well, <laughs> gas stations at the end of the day right now, it, it, it's somewhat seamless, right? And, and, and there was a unique study that was done in California uh, that showed how the gas stations worked, where you would have hundreds and hundreds of vehicles exiting that gas station within an hour or two. And here, every now and then, a 20-station EV center, you'd see one moving out every few minutes. The key is, obviously, from a future perspective and a growth perspective and evolving perspective, how do we charge cars more fast or more quickly, faster, get them on the road again. That's the key and, and, and vitally critical because that is a dissatisfier. People don't want to sit there for you know an hour to charge their car. They want to be gone in five minutes. They want that quick experience. That didn't happen overnight in the gas industry either, right? That took time. And obviously this is going to be evolving as the, as the, as the technology evolves 
into the future, i.e. the flux capacitor. Rodney, as we look to the future, what new standards will be needed to ensure a healthy mobility ecosystem? So right now, I think there there are some uh, gaps in terms, and, and some of this has you know, already been you know, discussed in some of the press releases SA had about NACs, but you know, right now there are some problems with the public key infrastructure. We do, we do not have a situation in the U.S. like what we have with cell phones, where you could simply roam across to different networks, and you know, you, nowadays your cell phone just works. You know, you you pay your cell phone bill. You can sort of remember the old days where it very much mattered you know, who's, you know, roaming charges and things like that. So that's stuff to be sort of sorted out. What we want is the ability for cars to, you know, plug in and charge without a lot of hassle, you know, around. It's not just payments. It's also just simply identifying who's who, you know, that this particular Ford vehicle is plugged into this particular charge point station and they have a plan that allows them to charge, right? And that is sort of where standards and sort of business relationships sort of meet. And it generally, some standards, it's not just SAE, you know, ISO and IEC standards have sort of fallen flat when the rubber hits the road in terms of interoperability across different charging networks. So that's, that's some gaps that really need to be addressed. Christian, underpinning the transition, the global transition to electrification, whether it's infrastructure, ground vehicles, heavy-duty vehicles, school buses for that matter of fact, is a global supply chain that is murky and in some cases no transparency. We don't know where the minerals are coming from or, or how they're being out of the ground. We don't know how they're being refined. We don't really have a good understanding of the amount of carbon that's being generated through that process. At some point, will SAE work to bring the EV ecosystem together, develop traceability standards for a circular economy. So you're going to bring the miners to the table. You're going to bring the shippers to the table, the refiners, and say, okay, guys, we need to do something. Yeah, there, there is a focus on that. And right now we did establish here a committee, a traceability committee for SAE just recently. Uh, it's been about a battery traceability committee established about a month ago, uh, maybe six weeks ago now. So where we want to identify, and because governments and, and regulatory agencies want to identify, uh, i.e., if you remember the days of the conflict minerals, the Congos and stuff like that, they, they want to identify what's going on. Um, and I think they want to, the government and industry, let industry make that call, because on the conflict mineral side, the government made the call. And then there was a lot of bureaucratic and challenges that the automotive industry had to deal with to, to identify, record, monitor, and track and trace what was going on there. Industry will identify what's important and vitally critical, especially you, you need all of these specific battery minerals identified for recyclability use. And, and sometimes you're going to have batteries that are going to be used for a different purpose and, and still have that traceability and tracking capability to identify where they are, where is it located, and, and how good we are actually doing from a recyclability point of view. Remanning as well. Will a committee be spun up to develop standards for battery recycling? And, and will, will it be based on how reusable it is or how sustainable it is? We're already doing that. We are already doing that, and we are working with industry in regards to that. Understand they're not near at scale yet. There's many, many different paths right now of how to recycle. Um, <laughs> and, and we need to be very careful because, obviously, 
recycling lithium batteries is not the easiest um, and there's risk involved and, 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 and you need to be very careful on how you recycle the batteries. There's a lot to unpack in standards world. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and that's it, it, like I said, you know, we went through a revolution about 100 years ago um, when Henry Ford joined and helped us out here at SAE. Um, we're going through another evolution revolution in industry as it relates to EVs and, and automated driving. It is a, a exciting time, a fun time, a challenging time, but a, a, a truly a, a time that is going to improve the lives of all of us on this planet. I would sum it up it's a rewarding time. Absolutely. It's creating a lot of good in the world. Absolutely. That's the best. Rodney, you have this really unique experience from academia and chairing a committee. In your opinion, what does the future of standards look like? You know, one of the areas that, you know, uh, we originally started working with electric vehicles at the university was vehicle to grid. And if there's, you know, that is, power, you know, bi-directional power flow in and out of electric vehicles. And that really requires a coordination uh, you have two industries. You have uh, the electric power industry and automotive industries, which are regulated by two very different federal agencies uh, that have that industries that are used to working very closely with government on how the regulations are written. And honestly, they're usually focused on getting their own way most of the time. And so you have two industries, you know, the power industry, uh, you know, electric power industry and automotive industry have to work together for electrification to really take place, right? And I think where it gets more complicated is when you have things like electricity markets and automobile manufacturers sort of all coming together. It's actually quite a big regulatory burden. And so bringing people in standards that are really experts in the rules that are sort of almost like policy people, uh, you might groan. But the thing is, you can't do things like V to G unless you meet regulatory compliance. And that goes from, you know, just technical standards. There's this sort of unique area where technical standards meet policy. And that's one of the, you know, places that we work in our group, we actually have policy people across the hallway that we work together to actually make standards happen. It's just great if a university comes up with something in a lab, but if it's literally illegal to use as you've invented it, you either need to advocate for those rules to change or you need to meet the regulations. So I think the future of standards is the word holistic gets thrown around, but holistic in the sense that you don't just have engineers that are just focused on the technicals you also have policy people that can say here's the new here's where the technology is going here's the rules that we need to facilitate that and you sort of develop those in parallel because if you don't you're not ready to sort of have things go out to the market wow I, that's that's fascinating to hear and it's refreshing i know on the private sector individual inventing something and right over the right shoulder is the patent attorney getting ready to, to patent it. But you're, but it's really interesting from, from your perspective where you're having the policy person say what you're developing in the university, oh, by the way, it's legal or hey, you've got to tweak this to, to make it legal. That's really interesting. Christian, you're sitting there as the, the leader for the Global Ground Vehicle Standards at SAE. You have a wide variety of insight into the marketplace, not just standards, but the marketplace as a whole because your background in automotive. What is your opinion? What does the future of standards look like? The future of standards is going to really drive, and the focus is now really on, on the benefit of humanity, the environment, and safety. And, and those are very, very, very critical. And, and it's, it's even that much more vital right now that we have 
seven, almost eight billion people on the planet. And for us, we need, we need to focus not only on, on the emerging space, but continue to focus on our traditional space too, because of the emerging marketplaces, i.e. South Africa, or Africa, South America, and other regions of the world that are not quite there from an infrastructure point of view, structural point of view. So we need to still help and benefit those areas too with some of the traditional technologies that we focus on to improve those until right, the time comes where the future is available to them to evolve into the new emerging tech space, EVs, ADAS, things of that nature. Heavy focus on safety and the environment to benefit humanity down the road. Will standards always evolve no matter where industry goes or where society goes? Will standards always evolve to, to meet those needs and demands? Yes. And I'll tell you why. Because industry and, and, and people demand it. And, and it, without that, it, if there was no demand or necessary demand from, from industry or people, it would not happen i.e. perfect example is NAX, the J3400 right now. Industry has demanded that we need to utilize the NAX or the, uh, the Tesla charging network to, to help out to get the wheels going, so to speak, no pun intended, for electrification and moving electrification forward and the adoption of electrification. Thank you for that. Gentlemen, this has been a fascinatingly, awesomely insightful conversation. I learned a lot. I really thank you for the work that you're doing around standards and committees because without it, the world doesn't go around and I can't drive my daughter to school without standards. As we look to wrap up this insightful conversation, what would you like the listeners take away with them? And Christian, we'll start with you, please. Recognize and understand that that there's, there's a huge focus from the industry to, to get this charging electrification on the right path. Even though there may be hiccups and curves and, 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 and change in directions at times, um, they are doing what is in the best interest right now of moving the industry forward to help out and benefit humanity. Rodney, please. Well, I want to encourage anyone, you know, when you think about electric vehicles, you know, if you're a supplier, uh, if you're, you know, people making charging stations and OEM making vehicles is to, I think one of the reasons Tesla has had a pretty successful time with Nax is their interest with their charging network and their interests are basically to make the driver experience pretty good. And there's a lot of people in the industry who they don't necessarily make more money if the charging stations are working, right? The, they're hoping that other people sort of, you know, pay for that infrastructure. And then if that infrastructure stays expensive, that's good for them. That's not really going to grow the industry. What's going to grow the industry is something that's scalable. And I think really focusing on delivering good experiences, reliable, maintainable infrastructure uh, is going to lead to a less painful transition to electric vehicles. Well said, Rodney. Well said. Well said. The bottom line is the experience matters. The consumer has to have a great experience. If they don't, electric vehicles won't scale. Without the right standards, electric vehicles won't scale. But it all comes down to the experience. Today is tomorrow. Tomorrow is today. The future is and has always been standards. Christian Rodney, thank you so much for coming on SAE Tomorrow Today. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to SAE Tomorrow Today. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of SAE Tomorrow Today Unplugged, where I'll share my insights into markets and the future mobility. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.